0: We greet you in the name of Christ. I <coughs> Already told some today that uh, quite probably a number of the things that have been and will be shared today uh, are, we, after a while, we seem could become a little repetitious. <coughs> that's not the intention, but it is, however, also. Uh, We want to draw from the Lord and what He has for us. I'd like to look at an assignment given to me on accepting and embracing the call of God in my life and in the life of others. How do we understand the call of God? How do we respond to the call of God? How do I respond to the call of God in other people? I've chosen a text out of the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. This account takes place in the early part of the Apostle Paul's ministry. The Apostle Paul had been called of God. We find that in, in Acts chapter 9. He, and, uh, and God's call did not only come to Paul, but God's call for Paul also came on brother Ananias who was to go and uh, and baptize Paul and pray for him and so on. And because God God told Ananias in chapter nine, "Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear the name my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel," and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. Um, Ananias received that kind of a commission regarding Paul, and uh, in Acts chapter twenty-six, where where Paul reiterates the, the, this account before King Agrippa. He says uh, that the Lord Jesus spoke to him there and he says, For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these, these things which thou hast seen, and the, which, and the things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles whom I now send thee. And then he gives him his charge as to what he's to be doing. So God had called Paul. And it seems that at first the, the Jerusalem Church uh, uh, had a rough time with this. Understandable. Uh, here he had come uh, originally with the intent of uh, to Damascus of, of of getting the of getting these. I should say the Damascus Church had a problem with this. Uh, is is this fake? Is this real? So on. They hesitated on embracing the call of god on paul understandable but it seems that barnabas i don't know was he just so kind was he just so you know gullible but it seems that the uh, barnabas wherever barnabas shows up he He tends to just have a different spirit. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared what God had done for him. Somehow Barnabas embraced and confirmed and recognized the call of God on this new young believer. Well... We find that same thing again in Acts chapter 11. i like to read verse 22 through 26. Then tidings of these things. This is when there's been a a fair bit of persecution and there's a lot of people, Jews, moving to other areas. um, And the many come to Antioch. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church who was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they might cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him again unto, brought him unto Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And here again, Barnabas confirms or supports the call of God on Paul's life. Now it seems that the church supported Barnabas's call, whatever call that was. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Go find out what's going on there. Bless these people. And so on. And then Barnabas says, Here, this is a chance for Paul to minister, for a place for Paul to serve and he goes and gets Paul. We find then in Acts chapter 13 that while they are at Antioch, verse 1, there are certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work went to I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Somehow the Holy Spirit revealed to these people that Barnabas and Saul were to be called to, a, had a, a, to receive a special kind of calling, a special kind of an assignment. How this was done, the only thing that we know is that it was the Holy Spirit did this, said this as people were praying, as people were ministering to the Lord, as they were serving. This happened. I guess sometimes the question is, how do we identify God's call in a person's life? This evening we will use one method to do that. But there has been a lot of discerning already taking place in the last weeks and months as we've prepared for, for where we are now? Is there a person that is Spirit-led consistently? Does the individual meet the qualifications? Is there a need some of these things have already been addressed. When somebody senses that he is called to a work, whatever that may be, what do those say about him who don't have the same personality that he does? Is there an element of ambition, personal, like, or even that, like the mother of James and John had? Is the individual faithful and responsible presently where he's at? Or she? Are they interested in the busy in the work of the kingdom? Is there an evidence of some kind of gifting or enabling? And are they willing to subject their gift to heh, the opposite? Sometimes one's strength can become one's weakness if we just go forth in that strength alone and barge over with what we sense to do. What is a person's relationship to God, to others? Because the call to any kind of work involves a call to minister to people. Uh, We are not a cloistered situation where people just sit alone and, and serve God by prayer, meditation. The work of, of ministry, whether it be Sunday school, whether it be any kind of church work, for that matter, any kind of Christian ministry, it does involve relating to others. Identifying these calls, identifying that can be a challenge. Now, but what happens when there is a diversity in perceiving the call or the will of God? What do we do then? But before we do that, I'd like to talk to the children a little bit. Now, you didn't uh, maybe get much last Sunday, but we're (coughs) we're going to give you Sunday school and we'll give you a little bit now yet, too. You know, children... I like to call you front, but it's all full here, so I can't do that. Joanne thinks that there's something missing if the children don't come up, but I know, I understand that. Children, how how do, how do you choose things? There's let's say you go and uh, you want there's all kinds of food to eat. How do you choose what what you what you want to eat? How do you choose which toys you're going to play with? Let's say you and your friends are all together. How do you choose what you're going to do? How do you choose your friends? Well, we usually choose by what we know. (coughs) By what we see. By what we've experienced. I usually choose foods that I know I will like. Sometimes I'll try new things. But if there's something new and it doesn't look too good, I I may not. So we usually choose by what we know. Now there was a time in the Old Testament when Israel, the, 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 the nation wanted a king. And they first chose Saul to be the king. And that was very much directed by God. And he looked like a promising young man who would now be their king. And things worked well for a little while. Samuel anointed him to be king. But then all of a sudden things did not work out well anymore. Saul started doing things that he shouldn't be doing. He was disobedient to God. And then finally God says, Saul can no longer stay king. The kingdom cannot stay in Saul's family this way. And God says, I want to choose a different king. Now, we know that it would take a while before that person could actually become the real, real king. But God told Samuel, I want you to go to this certain place, and I want you to, to prepare, have a feast prepared, and there I will show you uh, who will be the king. Now, Samuel knew God. Samuel had, had connection with God for many, many, many years. And so Samuel obeys, and he goes to Bethlehem, and he calls his people together, and he calls the family of Jesse. Now Jesse had a whole row of boys, and God had told just uh, to Samuel that is going to be one of Jesse's boys. Well, where do you usually start that? You start at the oldest one, right? And I don't know how God talked to. Talk to to Samuel. I don't understand that. But somehow, as the oldest boy came up to Samuel, God told Samuel, not the right one. And the next one, not the right one. And the third one, not the right one. And somehow God could... Uh, told Samuel this, and Samuel understood it. How God said this, we don't know. Samuel wanted to choose the one that God wanted there. It was supposed to be God's choice, not Samuel's. In fact, God told Samuel, he says, you know, you, you look at what's outside, you know, what kind of a man he is. How well he can do this or that. He says, God God looks on the heart. God sees the inside. That's what God especially checks out. Because God knows these things. And finally he gets to the end of the road, boys, and God has to know every time. And so Samuel asks, Is this it? And then Jesse says, well, there's the youngest boy yet. He's out there taking care of sheep. Well, Samuel says, you better bring him. And as David comes up, he was the youngest of the boys. God told Samuel, that's it. That's it. I don't think that David expected at all that he would be the one. He had all these older brothers. They were much smarter than he was probably. He was just a shepherd boy. The others, they were soldiers. They, were, they did all kinds of other things. He was just the, the little boy, the baby boy at home. And God chose And it became very clear to Samuel, this is the one. Now, today, by the end of the day, Lord willing, there will be another minister chosen with us here, for us. How's God going to do that? God's going to show clearly, we believe. There's different ways in which God shows us. And we want to let God choose. And probably your mom and dad have already told you what's going to happen this evening. Brother Dan, Brother Delvin, Brother Curtis are each going to have a chance to take a book tonight. All three books will look the same. Except in one book there will be a paper that no one of us can see from the outside we don't know which one will be we will pray we will ask God to lead we will ask God to lead it's not who we want it's we want who God wants and then these three brothers are going to each pick a book Brother Dennison is going to check to see which one has the paper. And we believe that the one that has the paper is God's choice. Does it mean that the others are not? That means that the others are just as good, just as able. But this is God's choice now. Now, we're not saying that's the only way it could be done. But this is a way that it can be done and it shows we want to leave God have the choice. We want to make sure that it's God's choice, not ours. And so, we're all praying that it's going to be God's choice, that God will clearly show us. And thank you, because I know that you can help us pray. We want God's will. Okay, after church you come see me. I oh we, yeah I had forgotten what I usually bring along, but we had a way of rescuing it. Uh, Ryan's were behind us, so we're, we're we're fine. We're okay. What happens when there is diversity? When there seems to be a not everybody's perceiving the will or the call of God the same way. I don't. I'd like to just take you through a, an account that happened in Acts, and I don't have the answers. It involves Paul. In Acts, and I'll just reiterate a little bit. In Acts chapter 19, Paul purposes in the spirit, small s, spirit, to go to Jerusalem, and he says, After I've been at Jerusalem, I want to go see Rome. That's his plan. And he purposes this in the spirit and I believe that Paul was a praying man and he senses that this is the will of God. And so Paul goes on his journey, Macedonia, Greece, Miletus. And in Acts chapter 20 we find he, he gets up to where, at Miletus where he meets the elders of Ephesus. Now Paul had been their pastor for at least three years at Ephesus earlier. And he wants to get there He's going to sail by Ephesus. He wants to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. He wants to be there. And while he is meeting with these Ephesian elders there, he does let them know. He says, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing what things shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. He says, none of these things move me. I'm going to finish my course with joy, the ministry that God has given to me. Paul says, I recognize that there's things in the future that don't look very promising, very positive. And the Ephesians, of course, grieve because he has told them, you will likely see my face no more, and they sorrow about that. Well, Paul gets to Tyre in Acts chapter 1, 21, And in verse 4 it says, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit, capital S, so we assume that that's the Holy Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. He shouldn't go. In Acts chapter 21, verse 11 to 14, we find that... uh, uh, there's a man by the name of uh, um, Philip the Evangelist. And then there's also a, from, a, a prophet from Judea comes down by the name of Agabus. Verse 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet. And he says, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth. This girdle shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, these things both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, Why do you weep? Why do you break my heart? I'm ready not just to be bound, but to go to Jerusalem, to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Now, who is right? If Brother Dennis all of a sudden say, you know, I'm going to go over there, and we, and we all of a sudden, uh, there and there, and we find out that there's danger there ahead. Don't you think all of us would beg, Brother Dennis, don't go, don't go. What if Brother Dennis would just say, I'm going. Well, we could say, well, he's stubborn. He's just doing his own thing. Maybe he wants recognition. Does Brother Dennis know something here that we don't know? I don't know. It seems that the Apostle Paul could not be persuaded. Were these disciples just too relational and too emotionally connected to Paul? who was perceiving the will of God? We find that Paul does go. Of course, he's caught in the temple. He pleads his case. And, and God re, re, then even tells him, he says, be of good cheer. You testified for me at Jerusalem. You will witness for me at Rome. And finally, he shows up at Rome. He appeals to Caesar. Well, after, and then finally gets to Rome. Again, what do we make of Paul's situation? Was Paul right in going? Should Paul have listened to the counsel of the brotherhood? Was Paul obeying a greater call, which he knew involved suffering? I don't have the answers. As to who in this case should have the greater influence in discerning and determining the will of God. Because we know in both the individual and the group can both be right, they can both be wrong, or they can both be biased. But here we sense it says, When he would not be persuaded we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. There is one secret though. Agabus did say thus saith the Holy Ghost. This is what's going to happen. We do find in Acts chapter 15 a different account that when there was a, a, a quite a, a, a mixture of thought as to how the Gentile Christians should embrace Christianity in relation to Jewish customs and, and Jewish uh, tradition, Jewish conviction. They had this long discussion there in Jerusalem. After it was all done, they wrote this letter that says, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of deliberation under the direction of the leadership of the church. And they came to this conclusion. And so we sense that as we seek God that we can all come to that same point in determining the call of God. Now a call is an inner conviction that one whether it's me or somebody else, has received a divine commission. God, that, these, that, whatever, that our ministry of whatever kind that is, that our place in the church, at whatever place and role that is, <coughs> is divinely appointed. Every brother, every sister, has a calling. Brother Dwight was effectively said that the other day, the other evening. All of us are going to have some kind of a call confirmed. The present one we have, and at least for one brother, a different assignment. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. That fruitfulness is varied. And God gifts according to his will. God calls not according to man's standard in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Why? So that God is going to get all the glory. This is to be God's work. It is to be clearly seen as God's work. Not just the initial call, but then the the work of that call. It is to be God's. For his recognition. We find again and again, we could read many scriptures and I won't take that time. But where Paul reiterates and he says and says, We have been called, we have received this ministry of the Lord. One place he does say to Timothy. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. This was not Paul's enablement. This was God's. He says I want to finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, whatever call, whatever role, whatever responsibility you have in the kingdom of God, should be God's call in my life. There's those people who have refused God's call. We look at Jonah. He didn't accept the call of God. He didn't like it. There are those who have refused to honor the call of God on other people. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Somehow couldn't handle Moses being called. In fact, even Miriam and Aaron got caught up with that kind of idea one time. Diotrephes in the book of Third John somehow wanted the preeminence, and he didn't recognize others that were called. There were those that have hesitated about the call of God. Moses hesitated. Gideon did, Elisha did, Isaiah did, Jeremiah did. The disciples hesitated about Christ's call to being crucified as well. Then, of course, we have those that accepted the call of God. Jesus did. Thy will be done. Mary, the mother of Jesus, when that angel Gabriel comes to her, and he says, be it unto me, God, whatever you want. I mean, that, that, that whole assignment, that whole role, Although it brought recognition, there was a lot of unpleasantness about it. And I'm sure a lot of questions as well. The Apostle Paul accepted his call. In fact, he said, necessity is laid upon me, woe is me if I don't. Now it's true that a call initiates an entry into a certain responsibility whatever that may be. But along with that call whatever God has called you to do whatever God has called me to do we can always be assured that he will give what is needed to fulfill the call. God doesn't say do this and sweat it out on your own. God doesn't give the assignment without not along the way somehow giving us the enablement, the direction, the the plan, the power that this is why because it is not not only is the call his the work of that call is his as well always. Yes, it involves the human element, but it is God's work, not not ours. And I can testify that when one has received a clear call, that also has, has helped one stay true to that call when things look as if it would be nice to run. The call of God is to be obeyed. Woe is me if I don't do the call of God, whatever that is, whatever that. Now just some practical elements of accepting and embracing the call of God. I'd like to just break it down into these two parts. Accepting the call and then embracing the call. What can I do about accepting God's call either in my life or in the life of another individual? Many things could be said. Many things have already been said. One is, I believe it requires the spirit of Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, a transformed mind that we can understand, that we can discern the will of God. To be a living sacrifice, to be not conformed to this world, to be separate, to be God's individual, so we can understand the call of God. As best we can. another requirement of accepting God's call in my life or in others is that I sense a personal inadequacy. But an all-sufficiency in Christ. When God gives a call to somebody, He doesn't do it because that person has everything that's needed. But rather, it's because he wants to be able to work through that individual, his grace, his power for the glory of God. God's call, accepting that requires that I, I can't do it on my own. And, as already been stated in our Sunday school lesson, it requires a spirit of submission, surrender, yieldedness. The German word gelassenheit, which somehow encompasses all these things plus a few others. Not yielding to fate. Well, this is just what it is. No, no. Not a reluctant consent, well, I guess so. Not a conceding surrender, God, you win. Or a withering resignation, well, I can't do anything about it. But rather a realization, an acceptance of God's sovereignty. And that God has the best in mind for me, for you, for the church, for the kingdom. It's his. God has a very vested interest in in prairie church. He does. Amen. Because it's his. Amen. And that's why we want it to be his call. And only his call. And that requires a trust. I remember as a young, young man, married, when we sensed that God was leading us into some kind of work, we, at that point we're not sure of yet, but it was Christian school ministry. And I still remember. Probably about June of 1980, July of 1980. Going up to this community because they asked whether we'd consider coming and being a school teacher there. I knew nothing about school teaching. But I still remember coming to this community. We had never been there before. We drive up there Sunday morning to get in time for the church service. They had already had Sunday school, and, and, and we were maybe miscalculated ourselves a little bit. By the time we got to the church house, they were singing the opening hymn of the worship service. And as we got out of the car, this is the hymn that this was the song that embraced us. I believe it was spirit-led. God's way is best of human wisdom. A fairer way may seem to show. Tis only that our earth dim vision the truth can never clearly know. God's way is best, I will not murmur. Although the end I may not see. Where he leads, I'll meekly follow. God's way is best, Is best for me. Thy way is best, so lead me onward. My all I give to Thy control. Thy loving hand shall truly guide me, and safe to glory bring my soul. I want that spirit. How do we embrace the call of God? We want to accept it. How do we embrace it? What do we do about it? In our own life, each of you, each of us, all of us have a calling. Some are called into this ministry of the church. Some are called into that ministry of the church. We have a calling in the Christian home. We have a calling to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have a calling of one kind or another, here or there. How do we embrace that? What do we do about it? First of all, bloom where you're planted till God all of a sudden either uproots you, replants you, transplants you. Keep working. Do what you can do where you are and do it positively, faithfully, with a servant heart. Serve with joy. There may be people who say, well, I like to do this and this. Maybe God doesn't want you there. Or me. Maybe God says, not yet. Sometimes the easiest thing would be, well, then I'll just sit and wait. Yes, we are to wait on the Lord. (laughs) But I'd like to remember one of my Bible teachers once said, God does not call people to work out of the unemployment office. He calls people that are working. People that are involved in kingdom work. So serve the Lord where you are. With the calling, with the role, with the ministry, with the responsibility that you may have. Be it a mom. Be it a dad. Be it the school teacher. Be it the Sunday school teacher. Be it ministering in your neighborhood. Be it one of us that are part of ordained ministry, whatever that may be. That's part of embracing the call. And as we do that, let's grow in the Lord. Allow Christ-likeness and His character to change and to develop us. Make us useful. Thirdly, in embracing the call, view yourself as being a co-laborer with God. Now, it's not that God and us are on equal terms and that that we're just, you know, fellow employees. No. But we serve with Him. I've had the privilege of working with different people in my life, in the employment world. There were those people I worked for, and there have been those people I worked with. There's a difference. It's always a blessing to be able to work with. Yes, the employer still had added responsibility and and he had a role that I didn't have. God wants gives us the privilege to work with him. Alongside working with him as a laborer with God We do well to serve well with and under those that are under the authority that we're under. To serve together and to glory in his cause. And as we're doing, as we're embracing this call, let's be sensitive to doing the will of God. My obedient soul is worth more to God than my ministry to others. Disobedience while ministering doesn't really strike God very well. God wants my heart. Am I doing the will of God? That was Christ's main goal. Again and again we see that as Jesus lived amongst people, what was his main goal? To do the will of the Father. To do the will of the Father. Whatever that was. He prayed in John 17. He says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I've completed your will. He started his ministry that way. He finished it that way. The will of God. How do I embrace the call of God in other people first of all I need to allow it to be God's call to God's person and then I need to allow God's Holy Spirit to do his work in that individual and through him I must remember that my brother is God's servant My sister is God's servant. Yes, we work together. We help each other. And there is the responsibility of leadership to give direction to those under them. That is all there. But it's still a matter of allowing God's spirit room to do his work. I need to see others also as co-laborers. I am not the only laborer God has thankfully and if anybody should be able to understand labor it should be (laughs) co-laborers the bible does say in honor prefer one another I guess that's maybe what they did with the Apostle Paul when they couldn't persuade him. there's the will of the Lord be done? Maybe they realized that Paul, there was something in Paul's life that that I didn't that 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 these people didn't know, could very well have been. Some of these things have already been shared. Embracing the call of God in the lives of others, be supportive. That's what blesses me so much about Barnabas. He was a man of encouragement. He looked for the good. He looked for the possibilities. He looked for the opportunity to bless, to encourage, to direct. He did it with Paul. And he did it with John Mark. In fact, even after John Mark failed so bad. It blesses me again and again because later Paul writes, he says, Marcus profitable. Barnabas must have done something right. Supportive, be ver- be ready to verbalize and to visualize your supportive of a fellow laborer, and I need to be willing to accept God's call to me through others. Sometimes God uses a co-labor to encourage me, even to admonish me or correct me, guide me. Am I willing to embrace the call of God in the other person and accept what God wants to say to me through that individual realizing that first of all the other party the other individual is responsible before god we were encouraged about that last evening as a matter of watching for souls the matter of being a watchman embracing the call of god in the lives of other people. In short, what does it mean? It calls for submission to the will of God, labor with God, and encouragement and blessing to those that we are laboring together with God. It is God's work. It is his And if we keep that in focus, it's his work, it's his calling, and we have the privilege to work on his side with him. I do believe that the right acceptance and the right embracing can continue.